This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, an exciting night of action in the NBA playoffs. Cam Hayward says, get off my quarterback. The NFL has begun its investigation into the Eugene Chung situation. And if you don't know what that's all about, we will discuss. Yes, more talk about the Aaron Rodgers drama in Green Bay. Plus, the night on ice and the Penguins are in do-or-die mode tonight on the island. All that and more coming up in the next two hours of the show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another essential work day. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. Check out our Twitter pages at WCMD Morning Rush, at Rush Tony C, on the Book of Faces, at WCMD Cumberland Radio. All of those pages free and open to the public. Like them, follow them, drop us a line anytime you want. A message, a question, a comment, an opinion, whatever. It's all right there. Taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance, shamo. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app. We upload every show every day, minus all the commercials, uh, so you can go back and listen to whatever you missed at your convenience. All right, lots to get to, so uh, let's let's get going. Let's get rolling with the Rock Around the Region. I want to rock! And we start. That's odd. Why is why is my mouse wet? What is going on here? That shouldn't be that way. <laughs> is there a leak in the ceiling? That's just something you don't expect to reach down and grab the mouse and it'd be wet. That's kind of gross, actually. Anyway, uh, we start with Major League Baseball, where the Twins uh, pounded out eight extra base hits and a 7-4 win over the Orioles in Minnesota. Rob Snyder homered and had two doubles for the Twins. Uh, DJ Stewart homered for the O's, who have now lost eight straight games. Elsewhere, the Pirates were trying to snap a three-game losing streak when they hosted the Cubs, but Jock Peterson would have none of it. That one hit in the air, right field. That one way back, and that one is gone. Jack Peterson over the high wall in right field will touch them all, and the Cubs are on the board. Over the 21-foot wall in right, and for Jock, it's his third of the year. That one hit in the air, right field. That one going back, and it's gone. He's done it again. You go, Mr. Mustache, a two-run homer, and we are tied. It is three apiece. The calls on WGN, two homers, three RBI for Peterson in Chicago's 4-3 to win. Uh, ben Gamble had two hits and drove in a run for the Bucks, 
who have now lost four straight and seven of their last eight. And in Washington, the Reds beat the Nationals 2-1 in the first game of their three-game series. I got to laugh because all of our baseball teams are so sorry. Eugenio Suarez and Kyle Farmer hit solo homers off of Max Scherzer. Uh, Tyler Maley pitched five and a third scoreless innings for the Reds, who snapped a five-game losing streak to the Nats and a five-game skid overall. Uh, Josh Bell hit a solo shot, his sixth homer of the season, uh, in the ninth inning for Washington's only run. In high school baseball, nine different batters collected hits and four pitchers combined for a shutout as Allegheny blanked Fort Hill 14 to nothing. Griffin Madden went three for three with a two-run triple and a two-run double. Uh, Darian Bauer and Alex Kennel each drove in three runs. Wes Athey had two hits and two runs scored for the Campers, who improved to 7-1. and one. Fort Hill wrapped up the regular season at 0-5. And, and in high school tennis, Kaiser won the regional championship yesterday, finishing five points ahead of second-place Frankfurt, 22-17. Five Mineral County boys and one girl qualified for the state tournament. Uh, Frankfurt's Landon Moorhead and Jake Clark as well as Kaiser's Alec Stanislavic, Hunter Powell, and Caleb Kitzmiller qualified in boys' singles. Frankfurt's Aaron Clark also qualified in girls' singles. And four boys' doubles teams are also headed to Charleston. Uh, Kaiser's numbers one, two, and three teams are headed south. Uh, Stanislavic and Dylan Wilson, Powell and Kitzmiller, and Stone Kesner and Bryson Bush as well as Frankfurt's number two doubles team of Kyle Shoemaker and Bryson Lane. Congrats to all of those tennis players. Tennis getting some love, getting involved on the show. Uh, They're headed to uh, Charleston for the state tennis tournament. Frankfurt, this is their first year with a team in like, what, 12 years? I think I saw it was 12. Last year was supposed to be their first year back. But, you know, pandemic. So this year, they finally got the program back up and running. And they're sending a bunch of kids to Charleston. So congratulations to them and the Kaiser kids as well. NBA playoffs tonight. The 76ers are hosting the Wizards for game two of their first round series, which Philly leads 1-0. And in the Stanley Cup playoffs, it's do or die for the Penguins as they take on the Islanders in New York for game six of their series which the Isles lead 3-2. to two. So it's either season over for the Penguins or Game 7 back in Pittsburgh. Ow, that hurt. <laughs> game 7 back in Pittsburgh on Friday night. Got a little, little stitch in my side there. What's going on? You know, you know you're getting old. You know you've reached a certain age when all you simply do is turn to the left and you pull something. That did, not, that did not feel good at all. Got a little cartilage issue in my right ribbage area. How? <laughs> you know what it was? I'll tell you what it was. It was yesterday. I spent uh, a copious amount of time in the backyard uh, mulching and spreading river rock, which, you know, that's how I like to spend my time. That's how I like to spend my Tuesday evenings uh, doing that stuff. Throwing mulch and river rock all over the place. 
I can't, I cannot, <laughs> I can still do that stuff. It's like anything else whenever you reach a certain age, you can still do things. It just takes longer to recover, right? I, mean, I, could, I could still, I could still party. I can still, you know, I can still enjoy some beverages. I can still go out. It just takes me eight days to recover after. I can still do yard work. I can still do stuff around the house. I can still work out. It just, the bounce back is not there anymore. You know what I mean? It's just not there. I spent, I don't know how much time I spent in the backyard yesterday. A couple hours maybe. Although it felt like forever. Because the sun decided to come out. Seriously, wasn't it like 65 degrees yesterday afternoon? It was it was it was rainy, it was dreary, it was like 65. Then all of a sudden, at around five o'clock yesterday, six o'clock, it's like 104 degrees. The sun's out there blazing as I'm shoveling mulch and river rock. By the time last night hit, after I got done, I had to run the lows and you know, stock up on stuff. Get home, spread everything out. And I get done, and I go take a shower and get some dinner. Like by the time I got to went to bed, my legs were shot. <laughs> Just a constant bending over, squatting, crouching, everything you do when you're working in the yard. It felt like I run a marathon. It's it's ridiculous. Anyway, let's start. <laughs> let's start. Sucks getting old, man. What can I tell you? Three games on tap last night in the NBA playoffs including both L.A. teams in action. The Lakers were in Phoenix trying to even up their first-round series at a game apiece. Schroeder down the middle, kicks it to Anthony Davis. Three-pointer by A.D. It's good. What a huge three by Anthony Davis to put the Lakers up six. 28 in the game for A.D. The call on ESPN L.A. 710, 34 points for Anthony Davis as the Lakers do indeed even things up. With a 109-102 win, a Davis a 7 of 15 from the field, 18 of 21 from the foul line. Also had 10 rebounds and 9 assists. Great bounce-back game for A.D., who he himself admitted was not very good in Game 1, when he only had 13 points. And uh, after last night's much better game, he jumped on with the guys on uh, TNT. What was the last 48 hours for you like heading to this game? Locked in. Um, I know my performance, whatever day that was, I'm so out of it right now, um, was, was, was terrible, right? Uh, in order for us to win a series, to win games, I can't have that performance. So I put it on myself, you know, as, as, as all leaders do. And I want to make sure that I made a statement this game, come out with more energy, more effort on both ends of the floor. Um, just trusting my work, getting back in the gym, uh, seeing the ball go through the net, and it paid off tonight. LeBron talked about you always having bounce-back games after a performance like that. What was, what has he been like in your ear these last couple of days? Uh, we've been together for a while now. He don't have to be in my ear. He saw it on my face. Um, we didn't talk much, you know, at all today. You know, I think the first time we talked when we got to the arena. Um, and we just—I mean—he just knows, you know. Uh, I, I know I can't have my my team um, in that position with my performance, and um, but you know, since last year, he's always been on me about perfection, you know, um, playing hard, playing through environments like this, and so uh, it's paying off, you know. But you know, I, I got to the point where I don't need Brian 
to come and, and, and tell me what I need to do, um, I know now, right? And I put it on myself um, to be better for my team, be better for myself, and um, go out here and leave it on the floor every night. No doubt. You talk about environment. Now the series is tied one-on-one. You never played in the playoffs at home at Staples. What are you looking forward to? That crowd. That crowd. You, you see it on TV. You hear about it uh, when Kobe was there. And now I get to experience it. And I know Staples is going to be crazy, going to be loud, going to be exciting. Um, so I'm excited to get back. We stole home court. We stole home court. Uh, now we got to go home and take care of business. I would hope at this stage of your career, you don't need LeBron or anybody to tell you what you need to do. <laughs> I would hope you can pretty much figure it out. And he did for at least last night. Again, huge game for AD. Dennis Schroeder. 24 points. Uh, LeBron, 23 for L.A. Uh, Devin Booker, 31 points for Phoenix. Chris Paul, very limited for the Suns. Uh, he's still dealing with that shoulder injury that he suffered in the series opener. He only had uh, six points and five assists in just 23 minutes. And CB3 was actually on the bench in the final minutes of the game as the Suns were trying to get back into it. Here's head coach Monty Williams. I took him out. There was all uh, me just looking at him hold his arm the way that he was holding it. It just, I just couldn't watch him, you know, run like that. He's trying to make plays. He battled. He, he's a warrior. We all know that. And I just made a decision to, to take him out. We'll see how the shoulder feels tomorrow, game three. In L.A. So while the Lakers were trying, uh, well, they were busy, not trying to, they were. They were busy uh, tying up their first-round series with the Suns. The Clippers were busy trying to do the same thing against the Mavs. Let me tell you, things started out well enough. The Clips put up 73 points in the first half. That was the good news. Bad news is Dallas scored 71. (laughs) So. So the Clippers score 73 in the first half and only lead by two at the break. Kawhi Leonard had 30 points in the first half. That was the good news. Bad news for the Clips is he only had 11 in the second half. And that's when Luka Doncic took over for the Mavs. Doncic across the line from right to left. Mavericks trying to play two for one. Luka off one foot from three. Oh, what a ridiculous shot. He was drifting to his left and just put it up because he was trying to play two for one. And Dirk's in the building and putting his arms up in the air and loving every minute of it. 101 to 92 in the final 20 seconds. The call right there on 103.3 ESPN Dallas. His name is Luca, and he'll drop 39 points on your face, including five three-pointers. Dallas gets the win, 127-121, to take a 2-0 series lead. Tim Hardaway Jr., a career-high six threes. He had 28 points. Uh, Luca also had seven rebounds and seven assists. And he said after the game, it was the defense that carried the second half for Dallas. How were you able to pick the defense again, pick them apart? Oh, it was, you know, in the, in the first half, uh, Kawhi was amazing. He kept scoring on us. I think in the second half, uh, the defense won us the game. And, you know, we got to work on our freedom for sure. Uh, and we're going to we gotta keep going at this. It's not over. It's 2-0. A lot can happen still. 
What were you looking for there in the fourth quarter? Every time Patrick Beverly switched on to you, you looked to attack or find open shooters on the weak side of the floor. How were you able to attack that? I mean, yeah, he was, uh, I think, especially aggressive. So I had a lane open, and I have four more shooters with me. So I think that was a good, good setup. Uh, maybe some mistakes. It was mistakes, but we got to look at them and work on them. And how are you guys able to come into Staples Center and play with so much confidence as you go home and try to go up 3-0 here in this series? I mean, I think we're just having fun out there. You know, as a whole group, uh, the whole group is having fun, uh, playing tough, uh, playing smart, you know, and we just, we just, I know, I don't know. Playoffs are fun, man. That's, that's all I got to say. Yeah, speaking of that fun, you show so much enthusiasm. How excited are you to go back home and play in front of the American Airlines Arena in front of your fans? Oh, I can't wait. I've been waiting for this a long time, you know, to play against uh, with our fans uh, in our arena in the playoffs. So I'm excited. So while Luca uh, was busy helping his team take a, a 2 nothing series lead back home to Big D, Kawhi, as I mentioned, just disappeared in the second half. Again, 41 points, but only 11 after halftime. And here we have the Clippers, the number four seed in the West, now on its first four-game losing streak of the season. Remember, we talked about this. They allegedly tanked the final two games of the regular season against the Rockets and Thunder, two of the worst teams in the league, to make sure they finished fourth to avoid the Lakers in the first two rounds. Maybe, just maybe taking the foot off the gas in those final two regular season games has carried over into the playoffs. That they turned the switch off, and now they're having trouble turning it back on. ESPN's Ryan Hollis says there may be a few other reasons. The chemistry issues with the Clippers are prevailing right now, and in Toronto it was about as ready-made a situation as needed. They just needed a guy who could score one-on-one. And they had the team element already there and the leadership element there. So, you know, you're just really seeing the struggles from the Clippers. But I think the biggest thing is just the chemistry, and you're going to have to question Kawhi Leonard's leadership. You know, how can he get the other players involved? We know that he can get his at an extremely high level, but how did the rest of the Clippers join the party? Luka's going to be the next face of the league if he's healthy, and we're seeing that right now. At a young age, these are performances, and, and we talk about the it factor. You can only compare to it. A, a, a young Kobe Bryant, a young LeBron James, young Magic Johnson, a way that he can control the basketball game. The difference between Luka and Kawhi, Luka controls the game. Kawhi just gets buckets, okay? So that's the biggest difference that we're seeing between the two right now. And I don't want to say getting exposed. It's only, it's only 0-2, uh, but that's looking at the pace that it's going to be on. Yeah, it's only 0-2 going back to Dallas. It's the last situation you want to be in in the playoffs, dropping your first two games at home, and now you got to play catch-up on the road. And again, there will be fans. I don't even know, where does Dallas play? These arenas change names every six months. I have no idea. What's their arena called? It doesn't matter. They're going to have fans there. It's going to be crazy. they got, they got a chance to put it away. If they go up 3 nothing, you book it. Series is over. It's just done. So the Clips definitely in a bad spot. Game three tomorrow night. Now there was one game last night in the East. Nets and Celtics. 
Now, you may want to talk about the big three for the Nets. I'm here to talk about Joe Harris. What y'all do next? Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230. (laughs) Almost screwed up again. WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. And in the only game in the East last night, the Nets made a rather light work of the Celtics. Inside Griffin, outside Durant, moves it right. Harris got it, three on the way. It's going for Joe Harris. Next by 32. What a pa- passing exhibition that was, that possession. Beautiful ball movement. The call on WFAN. You can talk about your big three with KD, Harden, and Kyrie. I'm here to talk about Joe Harris. What you know about Joe Harris. He tied a franchise playoff record with seven three-pointers as the Nets cruised to a 130-108 win and a 2-0 series lead. It's their first 2-0 series lead since they swept the Knicks in the first round way back in 2004. Harris uh, finished up with 25 points. Uh, KD had 26. Harden had 20. And the game wasn't even close. This series won't be close. And I said yesterday I would be somewhat surprised if Boston wins one game this series. Maybe they sneak one at home. Maybe they steal one. But this series isn't going past five games. Celtics have now lost nine straight playoff games to the Nets. And they are 2-10 all-time against uh, New Jersey slash Brooklyn in the playoffs. Game three, Friday night, again, another two-day rest between games. I don't know why they do it, but they do it. Game three, Friday night in Boston. Pretty good chance. I wouldn't bet the house, but maybe the kitchen. We're sitting here Monday talking about a four-game sweep. Because the Celtics just can't hang. Just can't hang. Tonight, of course, big game in Philadelphia for the Wizards. Uh, They're taking on the Sixers. Sixers lead that series uh, one game to none. And you know, we always talk about it, you know, a series really isn't a series until the home game or the home team loses, right? So you expect Philadelphia to win the first two games at home. I mean, they're number they're the number one seed. The Wizards competitive in, in game one. They they push the Sixers. They they only trail by five late in the game. I would be shocked if Washington wins tonight. I would be shocked if Philadelphia can't carry home court. And the Wizards just try to take care of business in Washington and then try to steal one in Philly. You got whenever you're the lower seed, you got to steal at least one on the road. That's that's a guarantee. You're playing a best of seven. The math is easy. If you're the lower seed, you got to take, you know, you got four chances to take one on the road. And you better hope you sweep your home games. So you got Wizards and Sixers tonight. You have the Hawks and the Knicks. Uh, Atlanta leads that series 1-0. Game two at the uh, world-famous Madison Square Garden. And then you have the late game out west. The top-seeded Jazz hosting the number eight-seed Grizzlies. The Grizz, the upset 
in game number one. So here you have a situation where the Jazz, the Jazz, they do not want to be in the same spot as the Clippers. They do not want to have to go to Memphis down 0-2. They better hope for a split at home, and then they got to take one of the three at least in Memphis, or else they could be in some serious trouble. And again, you know, we'll talk about all these games tomorrow, especially uh, the Wizards uh, and the 76ers. Only two games on the docket last night in the Stanley Cup playoffs. The best first-round series, by far, has been the one between Nashville and Carolina. Series was tied at two games apiece, each team winning twice on home ice, holding serve at home. Last two games in Nashville both went to overtime. One was one OT, another one a double OT thriller. Both, of course, won by Nashville. So, guess what happens in Game 5 last night in Carolina? The call on 99-9, the fan, if you could have figured out what he was saying. There's something about Carolina. I don't know what it is. Because you listen to the radio call, and I also listen to the TV call. And you could hardly hear the announcers. The noise in Carolina. The fan noise, plus the goal horn, plus the music. It just drowns everything out. It's almost impossible to hear what they're saying. In case you didn't catch it, Jordan Stahl, the captain, got the game winner just 2-0-3 into overtime to give the Canes the win, the pivotal Game 5 win, and a 3-2 series lead. Martin Neckes scored twice in regulation for Carolina. Yakov Trenin, was it Trinan? I think it's Trinan, had two goals for Nashville. They'll try to even up the series tomorrow night and force a Game 7 back in Carolina. On Saturday, in the only other game last night in Montreal, the Maple Leafs were trying to push the rival Canadiens to the brink of elimination. The Leafs get it out. They have a two-on-one. Galchenyuk finishes it off. Alex Galchenyuk, his best game as a Toronto Maple Leafs, throws a dagger into the hearts of the team that drafted him in the first round. And Alex Galchenyuk will have a three-point night. The call on TSN 1050, as you heard the man say, three-point night for Alex Galchenyuk as Toronto beat Montreal 4-0 to take a 3-1 series lead. This is the first time Toronto has held a 3-1 series lead since I was a sophomore in high school. 1987. So excited I'm punching the keyboard over here. Jack Campbell made 32 saves for his first career playoff shutout. Montreal has scored a total of four goals off of Campbell this series, which is the first playoff series, oh, by the way, between these two Canadian rivals since 1979. It's also the first time Toronto has won back-to-back playoff games in Montreal since the 1967. I wasn't born yet. I'm not that old. Stanley Cup Final, which happens to be the last time the Leafs won the Cup. Game 5 tomorrow night in Toronto. The Leafs can seal the deal at home if the Canadiens 
can force Game 6 back in Montreal. The Canadian government said it will allow a whopping 2,500 fans into the Bell Center, which would be the first NHL crowd in Canada since the pandemic started back in March of 2020. Can you believe that? We're sitting here. We got crowds in pretty much every venue in any in every sport, right? They still, and I talked about this, I don't know, was it yesterday or Monday? They still don't have fans at the NHL games in Canada yet. They may, and I don't know why they can't have them in Toronto. I don't know why game six is so special back in Montreal, but there you go. And, and still, they're only letting in 2,500 fans. Here, and this comes off the announcement uh, yesterday, the NFL said that they're going to allow fans at NFL camps this year, and 28 of the 32 NFL stadiums are set for full capacity when the season begins. Wait, this said, no, wait, this says 30. Hold on, wait a minute. The story says 28, the headline says 30. Which one is it? Either way. Either way. Teams will be permitted to host fans at training camp this summer. Subject, now of course it's always, subject to state and local guidelines. After, of course, nobody could attend training camp last year. So I guess it is 30. I don't know where they've got 28 from. But all but two teams have now received approval from state and local governments to open their stadiums full capacity when games resume in September. Why is it? I'm so confused here. What? Oh, we we got teams sharing. That's right. That's right. We got the Giants and the Jets sharing the same. That's why I'm confused. The number of stadiums don't match the number of teams. That's... (laughs) Now it all makes now it all makes sense. So you got 28 stadiums, 30 teams that already have approval. Only the Colts and Broncos, uh, they're still working with their local authorities to get that, you know, the go the green light for full capacity. So there you go. Just a weird Uh, contrast in comparison to what we're doing south of the border and what they're doing north of the border. I, for one, am happy to see it. I I have made no secret how I feel about getting fans back in the stands. I'm all for it. Let's open it up. Let's rock and roll. Let's go. So if you want to go to, let's say, Steelers training camp in Latrobe this year, there you go. Knock yourself out. If you want to go to a Ravens game or a Steelers game or who am I forgetting? A Washington game, there you go. Full capacity this year. Now, if you don't want to go, if you're still worried, and you stay home, watch it on TV, listen to it on the radio, whatever. It says here the NFL will not a put a fan vaccination policy on top of any state and local regulation that may exist, which is good. That's we talked about this before. It's stupid. You can't put a vaccination policy. If you're going to open it up, you open it up. 
right? You can't be asking for vaccination cards as people go through the turnstiles. As they, do they even have turnstiles anymore as they go through the gates? Just if you're going to open it up, open it up. Vaccinated, non-vaccinated, whatever. Buy a ticket, go to the game. That's just the way it's going to be. I'd be very curious to see. Now, of course, we're talking months from now, right? What do we got? May, June, July, August, about three months, give or take, before the start of the NFL regular season. Be very interested to see, one, if those places are packed. Now, we're talking about the king of all sports here, the NFL. I would be surprised if they weren't, but you never know. There's, there's still a lot of people still wary, still a little bit, you know, nervous about being in a place, you know, a stadium with 60,000 other people. So I'd be very curious to see, one, if those places sell out, if they're actually full, and two, how many people will have masks on? Because you know, you know what you're going to see when the NFL regular season starts. You know what you're going to, even in the preseason, I guess. You're going to, you're going to see a thousand shots of the crowd per game. The announcers will talk about it ad nauseum over and over and over again. They're going to show a thousand crowd shots because they're going to be so happy to have people back in the stadiums. I'll be curious to see. First of all, will they be filled? Second of all, how many people will actually have masks on come September in the start? Of the regular season. I'm glad they're having fans back. Colts, Broncos, they'll get it figured out. You'll have every team, every stadium, full capacity in September. Let's go, baby! Right now, let's go to break. And then we'll come back to wrap up our number one. Stick around. WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. I just heard that last uh, commercial or spot, as we call it, in the business from the uh, from NHTSA. It was a National Highway Travel Safety Administration, something like that, about people. And it's always such a tragic thing when you hear about people forgetting or leaving their their babies in the back seat. Right? I just I can't even fathom. That happening, or or how somebody must feel after that. But anyway, point being, uh, as I've mentioned before on the show, I got a new car recently. I mean, it's it's a used car, but it's new to me. And uh, in all seriousness, it's like the nice car, nice car I've ever had. I've never been one of those people to to like buy brand new cars and drive them around, or I just you know looking for a good deal, good vehicle, whatever. This, this is the nicest vehicle I've ever had. And one of the bells and whistles on this thing, of which there are many, is, and it's pretty cool, is that if you leave something in the back seat, it lets you know. To my point about that, that you know, that commercial right there. If I, because a lot of times when I'm done with work, I'll throw my laptop in the back seat, or you know, you throw a couple bags of groceries or whatever. Whenever you turn the car off and you open the front door, open your you know, driver's side door, it gives you an alert. Please check your back seat because it senses, it detects that something's in your back. How cool is that? How cool? I mean, that's granted. I mean, yeah, it helps, you know, with my laptop or whatever. But how you think about that? How many unnecessary uh, issues, uh, 
incidents, deaths, people leaving their, you know, their, that, that stuff should be standard, right? Yeah, that stuff should be standard in every new vehicle that ever, ever comes off the line, right? Think of how many tragedies could be avoided if every vehicle had that to give you a heads up. Yo, you got something in the back seat. You might want to check it. I just it's one of those features that just blew it just blows my mind. Anyway, uh, we're talking NHL uh, last uh, last segment, uh, two games last night, a couple more games tonight. Uh, one team not playing. We know the Capitals. They were eliminated by the Bruins in five games. And story comes out yesterday that Alex Ovechkin, who will become a free agent, says that he is confident that he will reach a new contract with the Caps soon. Uh, right now, he's 35, going to be 36, obviously, because that's what comes after 35. He will be an unrestricted free agent this summer. His uh, 13-year, $124 million contract set to expire. And he said he wants to stay in, in, in Washington. He wants to retire there. He wants to end his career there. And he's once again negotiating the new contract himself, just like he did the first, uh, the last one. Nicholas Backstrom, who signed a, what was it, a four- or five-year deal last year, he did it without using an agent. And so Ovechkin's is following suit. And Ovechkin said he's been meeting with uh, Caps owner Ted Leonsis, Leonsis, excuse me, and GM Brian McClellan. Lines of communication are open. And he said, hey, we got time. And he, he, wants to, he wants to get a new deal done. Now, here's the question. How many years is it going to be for and how much? We mentioned this earlier this week about tying up a whole lot of money in a player who's just going to get worse. And I don't mean that as bad as it sounds. But Ovechkin's best days are behind him. Okay? How many years and how much money do you want to tie in to an aging superstar who just simply won't be as as good as he was? He'll still be good. He'll still score your goals. But... How much are you willing to put into it? As you mentioned, Capital is one of the oldest teams in the league. They've been bounced from the first round three straight years. Some things have to change. Kuznetsov is probably gone. They got to leave somebody exposed for the uh, in the expansion draft for the Seattle Kraken. Now, there are some sources that say the Capitals are considering multiple options for Ovechkin's new contract, maybe a one-year deal or a four-year deal that kind of parallels a Backstrom's deal. One source said before the pandemic that Ovechkin is looking for about $12.5 bucks a year. Connor McDavid is the NHL's highest-paid player. He makes $12.5 bucks a year. Connor McDavid is arguably the best player in the league right now. Ovechkin, while still pretty good, is not. The Capitals simply cannot give Ovechkin as much money as arguably the best player in the league. Can't. Especially with the salary. The salary cap is a mess after the pandemic. I can't imagine the Capitals getting cap-strapped 
by giving Ovechkin like a, a three, four-year deal with 12 and a half mil, you're going to sink the rest of the team. Not to mention, sorry to tell you, he's not worth that much. Alex Ovechkin, for as great as he's been, for as good as he's still going to be, he's not worth that much. He's not worth 12 and a half mil a year. He's just not. Not anymore. The Capitals would be foolish to give him that kind of money. Now, again, that number could change because of the salary cap and and what maybe Ovechkin takes a little hometown discount. Who knows? But he said he wants to be back. I'm sure the Caps want him back. But at what cost? At what cost to him and at what cost to the team? The last thing you want to do is mortgage your future for a guy who maybe, maybe, let's see, I mean, he'll, he'll probably play, he could play another five years. He's going to be 36. He could, I could see Ovechkin playing until he's 40, 41, 42. He's going to decline each and every year. But do you want to mortgage your future so he can just hang around for four or five years and finish his career? I mean, seriously, these are the decisions that they're hard to make when you're talking about a superstar. Somebody who's been the face of your franchise for the last 15, 16 years. It's a delicate balance between making him happy and keeping him around and, you know, not <laughs> torpedoing your entire, you know, five, six year. We'll see what happens. All right. Hour number two around the corner. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230. The all new WCMD. This is the morning rush. All right, let's kick off uh, hour number two, as we always do, with the Rock Around the Region. I want to rock right now. And we start with Major League Baseball, where the Twins pounded out eight extra base hits in a 7-4 win over the Orioles in Minnesota. Rob Refsnyder. Homer, it's a Refsnyder, Reef Snyder. Either way, he was balling last night. A home run, two doubles for the Twins. DJ Stewart homered for the O's, who have now lost eight straight Games. Elsewhere, the Pirates were trying to snap a three-game losing streak when they hosted the Cubs. Unfortunately for the Buccos, uh, Jock Peterson would have none of it. That one hit in the air, right field. That one way back, and that one is gone. Jock Peterson over the high wall in right field will touch them all, and the Cubs are on the board. Over the 21-foot wall in right, and for Jock it's his third of the year. That one hit in the air, right field. That one going back, and it's gone. He's done it again. You go, Mr. Mustache. A two-run homer, and we are tied. It is three apiece. The call's right there on, it's either MLB Network or WGN, or the Cubs TV Network. I don't know which one it was. I think I just covered all my bases. Two homers, three RBI for Peterson. In Chicago's 4-3 win, uh, Ben Gamble had two hits and drove in a run for the Bucks, who have now lost four straight and seven of eight. And in Washington, the Reds beat the Nationals 2-1 in the first game of their three-game series. Ehuenio, I said it right the first hour, and I screwed it up the second hour. Ehuenio Suarez, there we go. And Kyle Farmer hit solo homers off Max Scherzer. Uh, Tyler Maley pitched five and a third scoreless innings for the Reds, who snapped a five-game losing streak to the Nats and a five-game skid overall. Josh Bell, a solo shot in the ninth for Washington's only run 
he is starting to heat up just a bit. His sixth homer uh, of the season. In high school baseball, nine different batters collected hits and four pitchers combined for a shutout as Allegheny blanked Fort Hill 14 to nil. Griffin Madden, have yourself a ball game. Three for three, a two-run triple, and a two-run double. Uh, Darian Bauer and Alex Kennel each drove in three runs. Wes Athey, uh, two hits and two runs scored for the Campers, who improved to 7-1, and one, I do believe. Uh, weather permitting, they take on 10-1 uh, and one Northern today. Fort Hill wrapped up the regular season at 0-5. And, and in high, why did I take that drink of coffee during the, the – I hate when I do that. I don't know why I do it. I play an audio clip, and I reach for the coffee, and I take a sip, and now I just – the salivary glands are working overtime, and now I just got drool everywhere. In high school tennis, Kaiser won the regional championship yesterday. Finishing five points ahead of Frankfurt, 22-17. to 17. Five Mineral County boys and one girl qualified for the state tennis tournament. Frankfurt's Landon Moorhead and Jake Clark, as well as Kaiser's Alex Stanislazic, Hunter Powell, and Caleb Kitzmiller. They all qualified in boys' singles. Frankfurt's Aaron Clark also qualified in girls' singles. Four boys' doubles teams are also headed to Charleston. Kaiser's numbers one, two, and three teams are headed south. Stanislazic and Dylan Wilson, Powell and Kitzmiller, and Stone Kesner and Bryson Bush, as well as Frankfurt's number two doubles team of Kyle Shoemaker and Bryson Lang. Congratulations to all of those tennis players headed to the West Virginia State Tennis Tournament. Is worth noting, oh, by the way, that Frankfurt, this is their first year playing uh, boys tennis. Uh, maybe boys and girls, for that matter, in like 12 years. They were supposed to restart, rekindle the program last year, but then the pandemic hit and there was never a season. So this year is like their first season in over a decade. And they're sending all these kids to the state tournament. Great job by all. Uh, NBA playoffs tonight. The 76ers are hosting the Wizards for game two of their first round series, which Philly leads one nothing. And in the Stanley Cup playoffs, it is do or die for the Penguins as they take on the Islanders in New York for Game 6 of their series, which the Isles lead three games to two. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporelli Group. Yeah, Penguins don't win tonight, man. They got some, they got some problems. They got issues. They got some questions that need answered. And I don't know if they can pull it off. I really don't. It's an early start tonight. I think it's like a 6.30. Well, um, it says 6.30. But with most you know, nationally televised games, if it says 6.30, you can pretty much bank on it being like 6.38, 6.39. I, for one, am very happy that it's an early start because if they go overtime or double overtime like the last game, you know, I won't come here tomorrow on like two hours sleep. Hopefully the Penguins can take care of business. Hopefully they can force a Game 7 back in Pittsburgh. I'm not terribly confident they can win both games. They're good enough to do it. I just don't know if they can. Two reasons. Uh, Each goaltender. Tristan Jari, shaky for the Pens. Ilya Sorokin, just on fire for the Islanders. 3-0 in this series. 
if, if Sorokin, Lord knows, if he has started every game this series, because he wasn't even a scheduled starter. Uh, Simeon Varlamov was a scheduled starter uh, for the Islanders. And Varlamov has, has started two games. He's lost them both. If Sorokin has, if he started every game for the Islanders, the series might be over already because the Penguins can't beat him. They can't beat him. Literally, he's three and zero this series. And I don't know if Jari is good enough to match him. Save for save, I just don't. There will be a well. I'm telling you right now, man. If I'm here sitting here tomorrow, talking about the series being over, if the Islanders close it and seal the deal tonight, Penn's got some issues, just like the Capitals. What happens to, is Mike Sullivan going to be fired? All right, I know, I know, Sully came in and, and, and they won back-to-back cups, but if they lose this series, that's three straight first-round flameouts for the Penguins, just like the Capitals. Do they make a coaching change? Do they break up the core of Crosby, Ovechkin, and Latang? Do they send they trade pieces away? I don't know if it's worth a, a total rebuild. But if they lose again in the first round, man, oof, things are going to get ugly. For as good as this team has been and should be, the Capitals are the same thing. And I mentioned this yesterday. If you missed it, there is a there's a, a good little parallel going on between the, the the Capitals and the Pens. A lot of things look very similar with those two teams right now. All right? Pens won the Cup in 16-17. Caps won it in 18. Since then, neither team has won a first-round playoff series. Neither one since the Caps won the Cup in 2018. They're both teams are getting older. The Caps have already made a coaching change, which, again, that was a huge— And here's the thing. When you look at the Caps and the Pens, each franchise has made terrible decisions, at one each, since 2018. They have made franchise-altering decisions in a bad way. Look at the Caps. They win the Cup in 18, and they let head coach Barry Trotz walk away. They don't re-sign him for whatever reason. I'm still not sold. I still don't know what happened there. But Barry Trotz leads the Caps to the first Cup in, in team history, and they don't renew his contract. And now he's with the Islanders. And they haven't won a playoff series since. That's a franchise-altering decision. The Pens, they let goaltender Mark andre Fleury walk out the door. They left him unprotected in the expansion draft. And now he's with Vegas. And he actually led Vegas to the cup finals when the Caps beat him. Now, as I've said on this show before, I won't criticize the move when it happened. Because I think most teams in that situation would have kept the younger Matt Murray and let Flurry go. Looking back at it now, hindsight being what it is, it was an awful decision for the Penguins. Not only because Flurry ended up being much better than Matt Murray, and he's much better than Tristan Jari is now, but he was part of that core group. Crosby, Malkin, Latang. Flurry. They all came in pretty much at the same time. They all won three Stanley Cups together. And not just for Flurry's play on the ice, but for who he was in the locker room. The city loved Marc-Andre Flurry. He did great things 
uh, in the community. And he, they love him on the team. He was one of, we always talk about, one of those glue guys, right? He's the one that kept, he, he kept things light in the locker room. He was somebody you could rally around. He was somebody you could root for. And the Penguins let him go. And Vegas snatched him up. That was a franchise-altering decision. Since the Caps let Trotz go, since the Penguins let Fleury go, <laughs> they can't get out of the first round. Neither one of them. And now you have two aging teams with aging superstars. I think the Caps are set a little bit more in net than the Penguins right now. But both teams have serious questions that need to be answered. Now, look, maybe the Pens do win tonight. Maybe they win the series. Maybe they go on and win the Cup. And then now I'm sitting here talking about something completely different. But if they lose the series, look out. Because new GM Ron Hextall, look, Sullivan might be gone anyway. Because you know how general managers get that they want their own people. You, your team hires a new GM. They want to bring in their own guys. They want to hire their own coaches to get things done. All right? Mike Sullivan was hired under the old regime for the Pens. So he might be done. Hextall might fire him and bring his own guy in. Who knows? We'll see what happens. And we'll definitely talk about it uh, tomorrow. I see this on Twitter, and I, you know what? I don't even know if I want to get into it now because I need to maybe look at it a little bit more. I don't know. There's a tweet here from Patrick McDonald, who is a strength coach at Good Hope High School. I have no idea where that is. But he says something about contracts. This high school, I don't know how contracts work in high school sports. I don't know if it's like through the season. I don't know if it's for the school year. But he says high school coaches should be on 12-month contracts or at minimum 11-month contracts. The time spent working after regular work hours and in a summer is outstanding. Schools wouldn't lose as many coaches if this was the case. So I don't know how how it works now. So maybe I'll I'll, I'll table this because I have my own opinion on that. And each each state is different. So I don't again I don't know where Good Hope High School is. But each state is different. I'm sure each state treats their coaches differently at the high school level. Hiring practices are different. I I have several opinions on the way certain states do things. I'll I'll table that. I'll look more into it, and we'll, we'll come back to it. If not today, then tomorrow. Because if... High school coaches, if schools go in a direction where you know they give coaches an 11th month or 12 month contract, how good is that contract? You know, how long is it? How long should it be for? And can it be terminated? Because each 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 state is different when it comes to how they treat their high. Okay, I'll talk about it later. I just wanted to bring it up, food for thought. Should high school coaches get 12 month, get yearly contracts? And again, I don't know how it works now, but I'll figure it out. All right. Aaron, okay, Aaron Rodgers. Do I want to get into this again? I, I am so tired. I, I know so many people are of the A.A. Ron Rodgers drama in Green Bay. It's been going on since the draft. 
every day it seems like there's something, right? There's something with Aaron Rodgers. Of course, he was on Sports Center the other night with Kenny Mayne. It was Kenny Mayne's last show. And we touched on this briefly yesterday. Rodgers, he says, hey, it's not about Jordan Love. It's not about the Packers drafting him in the first round as his potential replacement. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with the coach. A, he, he called it a difference in philosophy. And I guess he's pointing to the general manager there when he says that. Apparently, the quarterback wants things done differently than the way the general manager does it. And that's where this whole beef is coming from. That's where all this drama is rooted in. Now again, I don't know what Rodgers wants. If he wants more input, if he wants the general manager, uh, what's, what's the GM's name? Gutekunz? If he wants him fired, I have no idea. But the longer this drags out, especially now since OTAs began yesterday, and guys are showing up and they're working out and they're going to be asked about it over and over and over again, it's going to get worse and worse until they figure it out. Here's a ESPN Packers reporter Rob Domofsky. Count Coach Matt LaFleur among those who were tuned in late last night to that Sports Center appearance, but it didn't sound like it changed anything in LaFleur's mind. He told us today that they're going to continue to work through this thing and they're going to try to get Rodgers back in this building. Now, obviously, he's not here, but the best reaction from someone who was here came from safety Adrian Amos, who, when asked today whether he expected Rodgers to be back with the Packers, he said, I expect him to be, but I'm not going to go home and cry if something else happens. Mm. Of course, you want one of the greatest quarterbacks here, but he's never going to knock anyone who says they're trying to get what they feel like they deserve. And one other thing from today, Aaron Jones, the Packers running back who re-signed four years, $48 million, said that he never heard anything from Aaron Rodgers that Rodgers said he wouldn't be back here. He said it wouldn't have mattered, though. He probably would have re-signed here anyway, 48 million reasons to do so. I can't remember the last time. I know there's been some, some drama out there in Seattle with Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. But this has just drug on for a while. It seems like it's drug on forever. It's only been, what, when was the draft? Last month? The biggest issue here is we just don't know what the problem is. We know that there is a problem, but we just don't know what it is. We don't know what Rodgers' main beef is because he just won't come out and say it. Just know he's unhappy. He's unhappy, and he either wants out of Green Bay or he wants something changed. We just don't know what it is. He said, Matt LaFleur, give him credit in the world. He's just like, hey, if he stays, he stays. If he goes, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. He's got a team to coach. He can't concentrate. I understand how, and what makes it so difficult is Rodgers is a Hall of Fame quarterback. Best quarterback. Well, I don't know. Let me see here. Would he be better than Favre? Yeah, sure. Yeah, he's better than Favre. Bart Starr, that's that's a hard comparison given the time difference. So it's not like you're talking about an everyday Joe here. You're talking about your franchise quarterback who still has a handful of very good years left. So obviously you don't want to walk out the door, but at the same time, you can't continue with this drama, with this back and forth <laughs> We got you got to figure it out, and you got to move on. 
That's the way Teddy Bruschi and Mike Tannenbaum feel. That the more, the more it 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 just it more it stays around, the tougher it's going to be for the entire team. You know the type of drama you're going to have if you keep him on the roster and he's just not there within your locker room. Here, I'll give you the player perspective. The player is going to be like, "What in the world are we doing? Get him out of here if he doesn't want to be here because he obviously doesn't want to be here, and get someone in here that can help us because I'd like to win, and I don't. I would rather not be asked about when Aaron Rodgers might might walk through that door every single week because now he's happy and now he's willing to you know to to come in here with his tail between his legs and just play ball. You don't want that type of drama in that locker room. Players, veteran players, don't want it either. Good point, Mike T. How does that get handled? Yeah, my response is, look, your, your responsibility is to play and do the best you can. We have to run the franchise, and sometimes we have to make difficult yet unpopular decisions. This is an all-time great player. We need more time to work it out, and we're going to work tirelessly to see if we can fix it talk about things like his legacy and we made mistakes along the way we could have communicated better make no mistake about it but with that said we just can't let players leave when they want to leave when they're under contract he's too good too valuable we went to the final four the last two years so despite taking a first round quarterback he was the league mvp in part for the players we put around him he deserves a ton of credit and just because he's unhappy right now we just can't let let him walk out the door could the Packers possibly get to a situation where they just get tired of it all and say, you know what, you want to go, just get out? Could the players actually revolt against Rodgers and say, you know what, we're tired of this. Either you want to be here with us or you don't, go somewhere else. Could Rodgers have possibly worn out his welcome in Green Bay for being, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, entitled, a diva? I'm not sure. Tony Kornheiser from PTI he says yesterday that he just wants to know what's going on. Loves his coaches, and he loves his teammates, and he loves the Packers fans. Well, then why are you leaving? If you hate the GM, say that you hate the GM. It is Aaron Rodgers once again, as he often does, being vague and mysterious to impress you with how smart and thoughtful he is. Okay, that's fine. Right now, and I was on this early saying he would never play there again. But right now, with this series of comments, it sounds to me like he's going to play there again. You know, the door's ajar, huh? Well, he's not he's not making any particular overt threat. So here's what'll happen, Mike. He won't go to these OTAs, so what? He won't go to any of this junk, so what? He'll eventually walk back in to training camp. He doesn't have to get there early. He knows the system. He is the system. And then if he stews about something, he'll leak something and it'll indicate that he is stewing. But at the moment, it seems to me (laughs) that he's going to be there. But the singing intrigues me. I think he could become the host of Jeopardy and he could sing the answers. No idea what the singing thing's about. I have no clue. But Kornheiser is basically where I'm at. This is like, you got an issue, man, just say it. If you got a problem with the general manager, say it. Get it out in the open, work it out. If you can't work it out, go somewhere else. Without knowing all of what's happening behind the scenes, this looks like this is all on Rodgers. Like, he created this entire storm. Like, he lit the fire. And the only person that's going to put it out is Rodgers. So, put it out already. Get to the work out whatever needs worked out. Get back with your team and play quarterback. If not, go somewhere else.
All right, when we come back, we'll go from a one quarterback to another one. From Green Bay to Pittsburgh, where one Steelers defender says, get away from my quarterback. Talk about that next. Stick around, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Matt checks in on Facebook. And again, you can do so as well. Leave us a message at WCMD uh, Cumberland Radio or on Twitter at WCMD Morning Rush. Matt says, I think the Rodgers thing is blown out of proportion. He says he read last night that none of the starting receivers showed up to OTAs either, but that fails to get reported by most. All right. Uh, Well, first of all, Matt, thanks for checking in again. Uh, So let's start here. Let's break it down. One, there are players who don't go to OTAs. It's not just in Green Bay. Several players from several teams don't show up and take part in OTAs. So that's really nothing new. Uh, Two, those starting receivers aren't Aaron Rodgers. They're not the Hall of Fame quarterback. They're not the face of the franchise. Fair enough. I mean, they're I mean, they're good receivers, but they're not Aaron Rodgers. So if them not showing up for OTAs kind of gets swept aside, well, that's why. Because of the receivers, and they're not the starting quarterback. And three, to my knowledge, those receivers have not said allegedly that they don't want to be in Green Bay. And that's where this is all started. This has nothing to do with Rodgers not showing up for OTAs. This started back the day before the NFL draft, the first round, when the story, the reports came out that Rodgers allegedly told people within the Packers organization that he did not want to be there anymore. That's where all this started. And now it's just carried over to a month later where now he's not at OTAs. If those starting receivers had said the same thing, then that would probably be reported on. But to my knowledge, none of those reporters have said or told people behind closed doors that they don't want to be in Green Bay. That's where this, and that's, that is, it's just, is it blown out of proportion? Probably. We talk about it way too much as it is. But Aaron Rodgers, and again, this is reportedly, allegedly, told people at Green Bay he does not want to be there. That's where all of this started. And it just goes on and on and on. If Rodgers told people within the organization he doesn't want to be there, tell him why he doesn't want to be there and figure it out. Work it out. I don't care if he's not at OTAs. I I don't care if the receivers aren't there. I don't care about OTAs. I, I couldn't care less. Who shows up for what team and who doesn't? It's May. I'm not worried about OTAs and workouts in May. But this whole mess started with what happened before the draft. That's why it's getting blown out of proportion. If it was, you know, backup left tackle Joe Smith saying that he doesn't want to be with Green Bay, then nobody cares. But this is Aaron Rodgers, so everybody cares. Anyway, Matt, thanks again for checking in. Speaking of OTAs, uh, yesterday was the first day. 
Steelers worked out. Ben Roethlisberger was there. There are three quarterbacks as well. And one player in particular said that uh, he's rather tired of the Ben Roethlisberger naysayers. So much so that he felt the need to defend his quarterback. I'm talking about uh, defensive lineman Cam Hayward. Hayward says he's just tired of people bad-mouthing Ben, saying this, that, and whatever, and that they need to cut him some slack, that the criticism is not earned, that it's not just. And, speaking of blowing things out of uh, proportion... And I, I think we just we're just blowing it out of proportion. The dude went eleven and zero to start the season. How many other quarterbacks did that? And you know, I think we 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 can sit up here and talk about you know we lost the game last year. Um, you know, we lost to the Cleveland Browns. Okay, so be it. We fell off at the end. We still made the playoffs. But I'm not here to you know say my quarterback's not able to do it. I've seen this guy win Super Bowls on TV. I've seen him day in and day out compete. And, you know, you just get frustrated because, you know, I know Ben puts in work and I know how much he cares about this team. Um, if he didn't want to do it and he didn't, you know, if he, if he was just here for the money, that's one thing. And I don't think we would ever have to worry about that. But when he steps in this building, he's 100% dedicated to this. So when I hear the bad mouthing about him being, you know, um, a not great quarterbacks and then everybody's ready to elevate other other quarterbacks, I'm like, what have they done? You know, this guy is a, a proven winner, but yet we're ready to discount him. Cam Hayward getting involved, backing up his quarterback, saying y'all need to lay off. Enough is enough. Here's a guy who has played on this team. How's, how, how long has Cam been around? He's been around for a while. I'm trying to think, when, when, when did his career start? Ben has been there longer. But Cam's been there since he was drafted in what, 2010, 11? He's been there for about 10 years. He's been there for about 10 years. So here's a guy on the inside playing beside Ben. Well, granted, you know, different sides of the ball for about a decade. He sees Roethlisberger in practice, during games, at meetings, at OTAs, at camp. And he's saying the guy puts in work. Started 11-0 last year. Now, I know. And people want to say that the 11-0 was kind of like, eh, you know, not impressive, but 11-0 is 11-0. It's a hell of a lot better than 0-11. And he's just he, Cam says he's tired of it. He says the man puts in work. So who are you going to trust here? Right? Because a lot of the naysaying, a lot of the criticism – a lot of the bad-mouthing of a guy like Roethlisberger comes from guys like me and people like you. Talk show hosts, reporters, fans, who really the only thing that we have to base things off of is what we see on TV and what we hear in press conferences and what we see other people reporting. Obviously, there are reporters in Pittsburgh with a much deeper connection to the Steelers than I have. So they may get a feel of some things that are going on. But a lot of the the stuff comes from the outside. What the hell do we know? 
right? We just base our judgments on what we can see and what we can hear. Here's a guy in Cam Hayward who's been there <laughs> for 10 years with Roethlisberger, and he's saying the guy puts in work. The guy cares. The guy wants to win. That the public perception is wrong. Here's a guy in Roethlisberger who, look, I have been critical of him in the past, was as early as last year because he wasn't very good down the stretch. He was not at all. But then here he is signing another, you know, a, taking a, a pay cut, a massive pay cut to come back. Showed up for the first day of OTAs yesterday. He actually reached out whenever the uh, the Steelers drafted the kid from Penn State, uh, the tight end, uh, Pat Fryermuth. Fryermuth said that Ben called him the day after he got drafted. He reached out to him. Right, Ben also he's putting work with the, with the rookies. He was actually there during rookie minicamp with Fryermuth and Najee Harris and Kendrick Green. So here he is, Ben. On, he he he's at the point in his career he didn't have to do any of that. He didn't care. Right? OTAs are voluntary. Right? We just talked about Aaron Rodgers and, and the, the receivers for the Packers not going to OTAs. They're voluntary. You don't have to go if you don't want to. But here's Roethlisberger, regardless of what you think about him, at the first day of OTAs with the other three quarterbacks on the roster, putting work in. You take it for what it's worth. I mean, maybe that's just Cam sticking up for his guy. We never know what truly goes on behind closed doors. We, we never know what truly happens in the locker room, how players and teammates truly feel about each other. But at least there's one guy, and maybe maybe that's what the Steelers need. Maybe they need a galvanizing voice. I've, I, I've said before, I don't expect much from the Steelers this year at all because of the way the roster's made up, because Ben is back. I, I think he's on the decline. But at least early on, and again, lock and change in the next three months, at least early on, you have a galvanizing voice in Cam Hayward saying, hey, get off my quarterback. He's here putting in the work. He's a good teammate. He cares about winning. I kind of like it, right? I kind of like him sticking up for his guy. What are you going to do, right? All right, one more break, and then back to wrap things up. Stick around, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Before we get out of here, uh, this story has been gaining some uh, some wheels the last couple days. Uh, former NFL player and coach Eugene Chung, uh, he told ESPN he has been contacted by the NFL yesterday. The NFL launching an investigation into a claim by Chung that he was told uh, during a recent job interview, that he was, quote-unquote, not the right minority. Chung spoke about it for the very first time with uh, ESPN's uh, Michelle Steele. Former NFL player and coach Eugene Chung was contacted by the league Tuesday, the first step in the NFL's review of Chung's claim that during a recent job interview, he was told he was, quote, not the right minority, but he's not naming names what good would come from that put someone out there to to uh you know throw them out to the wolves and it's between me and god and it will go to my grave you know if you get bitten by a snake and the snake slithers off into the bush i mean do you chase the snake or do you heal the wound you know my my whole rationale now is let's let's heal the wound 
In his first on-camera comments since going public with his claim last week, Chung is not looking to settle scores. His objective is broader, raising awareness of issues facing Asian Americans, including often feeling overlooked, whether it's in the NFL or elsewhere. With everything that's going on in this country and in the world, you know, I have stayed quiet and uh, I've always kept my head down and always worked. And that was kind of like what I was taught with by my father who immigrated here. He's like, always do your work as best you can, stay quiet, don't cause any trouble. I don't feel like I'm causing trouble. I'm just bringing information to light. Um, You know, is it going to, is it, what are the repercussions? I don't know. We'll see. The former offensive tackle was last on an NFL coaching staff with the Eagles in 2019 and knows his prospects for future employment with a team may now be at risk. But he says others are showing support, including several NFL coaches who have reached out to him. When I hear the the people reaching out and the things that are saying, I mean, texts I'm getting from former players, it almost brings tears to my eyes. Chung told me his sense of the NFL's review so far is less about trying to find out who did it and more about, well, if this is a problem we didn't know about, let's try to fix it. He's already spoken to NFL executive Troy Vincent and plans to meet with Commissioner Roger Goodell about his experience. So there's Michelle Steele with uh, Eugene Chung. Tell you what, he's a bigger man than me. I'll just be honest. He's a bigger man than me. Because if that happened to me, I'm snitching. If somebody asked me what team was it, that one right over there. But the words that he said, man, that, that's something that's something to aspire to. You know, if you get bitten by a snake and the snake slithers into the woods, do you chase the snake or do you heal the wound? Let's heal the wound. Bigger man than me. I'm telling you right now. I don't know if I can handle it with, with that kind of, of, of dignity, okay? Fair enough? Uh, ESPN's Mina Kimes, who is also uh, Asian-American, like uh, Eugene Chung, uh, heartbroken over what has happened uh, to Eugene. This is a terrible story. I'm not just because it hurts to hear that Eugene Chung had to go through that, or because, by the way, it's also demeaning for the coach who was hired, the implication that he was only hired on the basis of his race, but because as soon as I heard it and I read it, I knew that there would be people who'd say, see, this is what happens when you privilege one minority over another. But the problem, Laura, it's not that another non-white coach was given an opportunity, it's that these opportunities are capped in the first place, that the person who made these comments clearly views diversity as a zero-sum game. That's the problem. We should not be pitting non-white coaches against each other for just a small slice of the pie. Um, and, And it breaks my heart that that's still an attitude that persists in the NFL. I hope they come to a conclusion with this investigation, and I hope that we can all learn from it and take the right lessons. When something like this happens, a lot of the times, like there's two sides to every story, right? It's a lot of times you only hear one side. So you, you, you hope, you, you try to give somebody the benefit of the doubt and, and hope. Like when I first heard about this story, I, I tried to think, like in what context could somebody have said that and not been as terrible as what it sounds, right? Like, at what point in that interview, under what context did somebody say to Eugene Chung, you're not the right minority? Like, wh- what could prompt them to say that 
and like them think that it would be a, and I, I can't come up with anything. I, I just can't. Like under what situation, uh, whoever would have been a GM, an owner, whoever did the, you know, was doing the interview, like they would say that and they would think it would be okay. I can't come up with anything. Like, like how, how dumb do you have to be? How ignorant do you have to be to look that man in his face and say, according to him, we can't hire you because you're not the right minority? That That's just that's stunning. Even though we know how dumb and ignorant people can be, it's sometimes they still never cease to amaze. And again, props to Eugene Chung for not not saying anything, not telling people who said it, because he could have easily done it. He's taking a high road. Uh, good for him. All right, I'm taking a road home. I'm done. Show's over. Stick around. Amanda's off today. Uh, last two hours of KJZ next. See you tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Sharpest is the morning rush. I am Tony C, and I am done. See ya!